May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, his promised Son, his only Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Just three weeks ago, I told you that I didn't wait, wait very well and nothing has changed. But it's Advent. It's a season for waiting. What are you waiting for? The doorbell to ring with the delivery of those packages you ordered online on Black Monday or Black Friday or Cyber Monday? The first Christmas card to show up in your mailbox or the first Christmas card from someone that you forgot to put on your list? The first cookies to be baked or shared with neighbors and friends or the first present to be placed under the tree with your name on it? Or you might be waiting for the decorated trees to show up in the sanctuary here at Crown of Life. Be patient and be patient to wait until they are lit. You might be waiting for the few candles on our Advent wreath to be replaced by a church filled with candles on Christmas Eve. There's a question before us this morning. It's a question you'll keep hearing as we journey toward the festival of the incarnation of our Lord. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant minds to ponder and to discover the good news and the answer to this question, what are you waiting for? People God dearly loves. What are you waiting for this Advent season? Something real? Something dramatic? Something that will change everything? Are you waiting for a man on a donkey leading a parade? Today's gospel reading from Mark 11 seems somewhat out of sync with our journey toward Christmas. Don't we shout hosannas during Holy Week? Not to begin Advent, don't we want to be practicing our glorias until December 25th? Then there's the epistle from 1 Corinthians and the language of waiting for the revealing of the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not Christmas Day and the baby in the manger. It's the final day of our Lord's return in glory. What are you waiting for? The Old Testament reading gives us the answer to that question, especially if we're waiting for something real and something dramatic and something that will change everything. Our text is a prayer, a fervent prayer. The prayer is a fervent prayer of God's people in exile. They wait. They wait in hope for God to act. The prayer of Isaiah 64 really begins in chapter 63. There we read this plea for mercy in verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. And we sang words of Isaiah 64 already in this divine service. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come, come down. But it's not a gentle, oh, little town of Bethlehem appearing that the people in Isaiah 64 seek and wait for. Make the mountains quake, God's people pray in verses 1 and 2. Show up, Yahweh, the way you did at Mount Sinai with earthquake and thunder and fire and smoke. For you are the God different from all and any other gods. You do what you promise. You act for those who wait for you. But do sinners really want God to show up in this way? 
to ask the question which we considered in our Bible class this morning. Do we want a theology of glory or do we want the theology of the cross? The confession of sins is clear in this chapter of Isaiah. We have all become like one who is unclean. And being unclean before God, especially as defined and described in the book of Leviticus, was a serious matter. It branded you outside of the camp, outside of the covenant people. And if they tried, if we try, to show up with a list of what we consider our righteous deeds, those are as filthy as a polluted garment. And you can check the footnote in your study Bible for more about that phrase. The prayer of confession continues. We fade like leaves that turn from bright green to dull brown. Our iniquities don't blow away, but like the wind, they take us away. We no longer call on the name of the Lord. No, not one of us wakes up to hold Yahweh in faith. And we can't see you, God, in your anger over our sin. You've hidden your face from us. Yet God's people then and God's people now dare to cry out, O Lord, you are our father. We are only the clay. You are our potter. Heal us, shape us, restore us. Just as Adam and Eve were the work of your creating hands, make us the work of your newly creating hands. Here is how this prayer ends. Though you have every right to be so, be not terribly angry, O Lord. And though we deserve your eternal punishment, remember not our iniquity forever. Behold us. Please look. We are all your people. We are all your chosen ones. We are all your sheep. Are these our words? How can these be our words of confession? How can these be our Advent words of hope and expectation? I want to take you back to a particular phrase, really a particular word in verse 7 of Isaiah 64. You may look at it on the back here or here inside your worship guide or even in the pew Bible in front of you. Because you see at the beginning of the third phrase of verse 7, there is a Hebrew word hidden in that verse. It's easy to read right on past it. It's really just one letter. One letter pronounced cough. It's written like a backwards C. It has some vowel pointing with it, but I'm not trying to get into that because my favorite and go-to Hebrew scholar is not here even to correct me. This word, this little word is pronounced key. That's right, as in a key which put, is put into a locked door and turned. In verse 7, it begins the third phrase, For you have hidden your face from us. The key is that simple but powerful phrase, for you. And this is the key to our questions. What are we waiting for? Will God tear apart the heavens? Will he again do awesome things that we did not look for? We should. We must hide our faces from God. 
for our faces are covered with guilt and shame. We cannot meet his eyes of justice. And God should and he must turn his face from us for our sins, our iniquities, our disobedience are an affront to his holiness. But God dares to rend the heavens and to come down. God rips them open, not in judgment, but in mercy, not in anger, but in grace, not to punish, but to forgive. This is the key. The Savior did come down for you. The skies were rent apart by angels outside of Bethlehem singing their praise to the newborn king. For from his conception on, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us and God for us. And his mission will and must take our Lord to a mountain. A mountain where a new covenant is cut. A new relationship between God and sinners is sealed. For at Golgotha, Jesus became sin for us. And the hosannas of Palm Sunday on this first Advent Sunday come true. For that word of acclamation means save us now. Jesus did not come down from that cross on that mountain. Yes, he could have made the nails pop out of his wrists. He could have made the spike fly out of his feet. But on the cross, God the Father works judgment. And in great mercy and amazing grace, that judgment fell on his son. And the cleansing of our polluted hearts is complete. Who is this promise for? It is for you. Who is this gift for? It is for you. Who is this salvation for? It is for you. Who is this forgiveness for? It is for you. It is not cards or cookies or candles or trees and lights that we wait for in Advent. This is what we wait for because it will happen again for you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.